Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Come on in and have a seat. Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. So if you can find a seat, go ahead and grab one. Thanks for joining us this morning at the firehouse. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. We're excited to have you today. Thanks for celebrating Easter with us last week. That was an exciting time. Great to celebrate just the victory that Jesus had and the resurrection, and just awesome to have a lot of you with us. Hopefully, you got a lot of good family time to celebrate as well. We had a good lamb dinner and had some fun. Spring is also mostly in the air. This weekend, it's kind of you know taking a break from the sunshine, so we had to adjust. Instead of like trying to get outside and bike or do sports, we were working on the garden and frantically planting seeds before all the good rain came. So hopefully, those of you on the gardening at the gardening uh, persuasion there got a lot of work done this weekend. It's good rain. It's good stuff. Free watering. So anyway, today we are in Mark 10. We took a couple weeks off for Palm Sunday and Easter, and we are jumping back into Mark, and we're going to try to get done over the next few weeks here. So I'll give you a warning that Mark 10 is kind of a long chapter, so I'm going two hours today. That's it. That's good. One person was excited. No, I'm going to skip around a little, just pick a few things out of it so we can get home and get lunch. Um, so hopefully we'll just pray God blesses that. But we're going to cover what Jesus taught, specifically some things on marriage, divorce, children, and serving. Just a few topics I think go together from there. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Word together. God, we do thank you for today. Uh, we just thank you for the blessing it is to be together, the blessing to worship, the blessing to be with your family. And God, right now, it's just a blessing to hear from your Word. And and we know that it's active. We know that your spirit moves. We pray that you would speak to each one of us individually on how we can take your word and apply it in our lives, apply it in our marriages and families. Um, and even if we're single, God, help us just apply your word uh, and just pick things out of it we can do today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You set a house Bible in the seat in front of you or under your seat. Go ahead and pick one up. We're going to be in Mark 10 on page 1001. So go ahead and get there. Alright, even though we're jumping around, we're going to start on verse 1, so the orderly types won't get too out of sorts yet. So verse 1, it says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. Some of the Pharisees came and tested him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. From at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Hearing t- raise your right hand if you heard that. <laughs> All right, the rest of you go get a hearing test this week. That's good. All right. So they asked, "Is it permitted for a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away?" And Jesus says, it is because of the hardness of your heart that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So we'll stop there. We make it too far yet, but there's a lot of good stuff there. So in Mark 10, the Pharisees come up to Jesus in the middle of teaching, and they're trying to trap him, asking about divorce. And so there's kind of two major scriptures in the Old Testament that kind of going back and forth on in this. So they start by asking Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So they're trying to trap him to say, oh yeah, you got me, divorce is okay, I guess it's a good thing. Um, But Jesus turns the table on them. He asks about Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy 24, and they respond according to that chapter saying it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife and move on. And what do we see Jesus do? He blasts them. He corrects them. So what's the deal here? They're quoting scripture at him. Well, we're going we're gonna to go back and look at the scripture. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 2, and talk about God's plan for marriage. And Jesus actually quotes this in his response to them, quoting what God intended in a marriage. So Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God's plan is that there's a permanent separation from one's parents, and one man and one woman are joined together in marriage for the rest of their life. And because it was so serious, God went and included that in the Ten Commandments, that adultery was one of those of, you know, hot-button thing that people should... Um, obey because it was so serious so that's God's word in the Old Testament on marriage and Jesus reiterates this in this passage in Mark 10 and so what the Pharisees are referring to is in Deuteronomy 24 so you see even though God made a really clear standard in Genesis 2 and gave that to the people that they, he intended people to be together one man and one woman in a marriage for their whole life people were still getting divorces So men were just sending their wives away when it was convenient. The problem is that in those days, once a woman was divorced, she was worthless in society. She was a little older. She was no longer a virgin. She just didn't have a lot of options of what she could do. She was left destitute. And so that law in Deuteronomy 24 was made so that if a man was in sin and sent his wife away, he had to admit his sin, write a certificate of divorce, so she was not destitute the rest of her life. Moses never condoned divorce or called it a bad thing. He was just giving instructions out so that those women weren't taken advantage of back then. And just to be clear, God wanted another word on the topic. And so in the book of Malachi, God addresses this again. For those of you not familiar, Malachi is the last prophet before John the Baptist and Jesus comes. And then there's like a 400 year gap and then Jesus comes. But it was the last thing God really wanted to get out in a prophetic sense before Jesus came. And one of the main things he covered in that was divorce. And it was because God was just disgusted with what the people were doing and how they were just divorcing. 
from what I can gather, the Jews had taken the rules from Deuteronomy 24 and just said, well, divorce is okay. Moses had a law on it. I'll just divorce my wife when it's convenient and move on. And so God takes this opportunity to set the record straight that, no, no, Genesis 2, that still applies. That's still my plan for marriage. So Malachi 2.14 says, Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And he elaborates in verse 16 saying, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So you need to take heed to your spirit so that you do not deal treacherously. Okay then. So that clears things up a little where God stands and where they've been off. It's pretty clear. God hates divorce. God says that he will be a witness between you and your spouse. And Jesus elaborates in Mark 10, saying that he who divorces his wife commits adultery, which is right in one of the Ten Commandments. So we can take from this that Jesus intended that divorce should not be an option for his disciple. We can't let it be in the back of our head as a way out if things get hard. You know, we can't use divorce as a bargaining chip in a disagreement as like that last trump card to play. Jesus, Jesus said that divorce should not be in your language. It should not be in your realm of possibilities there. So how does this play out practically then? Well, my marriage, I know that Sarah is God's provision for me. She's the perfect spouse that God provided to meet my aloneness need, to provide that in my life. And his plan is for the two of us to be married for the rest of our lives. There's not a backup plan. I don't have a plan B. She's my provision for my wife for the rest of my life. I don't have a prenuptial agreement. I don't have another option. I don't have anywhere else to go. That's, that's my life. And that's not a bad thing. I love Sarah. I love being with her. We're excited to be starting a family together. And we're excited that God has teamed us up together. But God just doesn't intend us to have that option of marriage sitting out, I mean, of divorce sitting out on the table. And if you're married today, do you know what God's plan for your marriage is for the rest of your life? The person you're married to right now. His grace is sufficient to help you and your spouse remain a loving couple for the rest of your lives. No matter how hard or how bad things might seem, God wants you to have a thriving marriage. I don't know what all of your marriages are like. I know some of them. I don't know what your parents were like. But we can take hope that God will give us all we need to stay married for the rest of our lives. You know, as I look at my family, especially my dad's family, the Albers, there's been a pattern of divorce. My grandfather had children with three different wives. He divorced the first two and moved on to a third. His father, or my father left my mother when we were young children. Two out of my three uncles have been divorced. I have one cousin that got married. She got divorced. I have another cousin that has two young children with different women. And another cousin that's been living with his girlfriend for 30 years. And take it or leave it, that's the family I was born into. That's my heritage for being an Alber. And as a youth, you might imagine I wasn't that excited about the concept of marriage. That whole thing, I just saw so much hurt, so much sin, so much failure, so little of men stepping up to the plate in marriage in my family. 
there's been countless studies that have backed this up too that the divorce rate in um, children that have parents that are divorced is much higher in fact some studies say that if your parents are divorced the divorce rate for you would be twice as high as somebody who had parents with a healthy marriage so from a worldly sense I look at that and I just had no interest in marriage because I saw all that failure in my family when I started following Christ, I took hope that he had a plan that was different for me, specifically related to marriage. I was adopted into a different family. I was adopted by God. God says if you put your trust in him, you're a son or a daughter in the faith, and there's a family in Christ. And he says he's a father to us that will never leave us nor forsake us. We have a Savior that says his grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness. And I take hope that God wants my marriage to thrive for a lifetime. And I can have a marriage that reflects the heritage of God's family and not just my physical family. And in our churches over the last 40 years, there's been a blessing related to our marriages that God's just given us um, by following the Bible and I think just pouring out His blessing on us. And... You can actually count over 40 years the number of divorces that have happened of people active in our churches and coming around on your fingers. It hasn't been a lot. God has blessed us with a godly heritage as it relates to marriage. So no matter what your parents were like, no matter how you were raised, no matter if your parents were divorced, God has a plan for your marriage to thrive for a lifetime. And it's not just a system of churches that's going to do it. It's God working in your life. It's God's grace that can make our marriages thrive. Okay, let's move on to Mark. I guess we haven't made it very far yet, huh? (laughs) So let's look at verse 13 and hit the next section here. It says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying hands on them. Okay, let's stop. So Jesus was teaching a crowd of people, including religious leaders. He was out in public. And people started bringing their children up to them, parents. And it says the disciples rebuked them. It doesn't record their text, but I imagine it was they were telling the parents something like, Jesus doesn't have time for children. Or Jesus is too important to be bothered with your children. Keep them away. Or children make too much noise. We've got a religious teaching going on here. And in Mark 10 it says when Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant. And he drew the children into them himself. So what I glean from this is the point on the next slide is that children are of great value to God. We're in a culture that tries to shush children and send them off for someone else to deal with and keep them out of many important public events. But Jesus did the opposite and drew them into himself. There's a few things that the Bible says that backs up the value that God places on children that we'll go through this morning. skipped around a verse about children in Malachi 2 earlier when we were talking about marriage and divorce but verse 15 in Malachi 2 says has not the Lord made them one speaking of a marriage coming together 
In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. So from our marriages, God says that he desires godly offsprings. He he wants us to have kids that honor him. God also honors parents and instructs them to do this instructs the church, sorry, to do the same to honor parents. In first Timothy five, nine and ten, it says to give special support and honor to widows who are mothers. And it acknowledges raising children as a good work, worthy of honor. In another place God calls children a gift and a blessing. In Psalm one twenty seven, three through five, it says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. So every child is a gift from the Lord. There is a blessing in every child that God gives as a gift to a parent. And God also says there will be a blessing or curse depending on how we raise our children, unfortunately. Um, Proverbs 10.1 speaks of the blessing that comes when we love, teach, and discipline our children the way the Bible talks about. It says a wise son makes his father glad. And Proverbs 17.21 speaks of what happens when we fail to love, teach, and discipline our children. It says that he who sires a fool does so to his sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. So we can infer that the parents that place a high value on children and live out God's instructions for parenting will have a blessing. And those that don't will have a curse, or at least no joy resulting from the way their kids turn out in raising them, as the proverb says there. We live in a culture that is constantly attacking this value on children, though. They point out that to raise a child that takes away our money, takes away our time, might decrease our career opportunities, can affect our social life at night, can affect our sleep. Yeah, I hear some laughing on that one. I might be in for it there. To have a large family is often looked down upon as foolish or socially irresponsible. But we need to embrace the values that God places on children and not just our society. Even if there's things that seem to be hard in being parents. One thing I thought of when I was in school, I did swimming for for 12 years and then all the way through high school there. And when I think back on it, there was a lot of things I didn't like about swimming. I had to get up early for practice. I had to go lift weights a lot. I had practice after school that would keep me from social activities. I had to work hard at it every day. I was often fatigued from long practices. It can be mentally draining just to be like back and forth in a pool. You can only look at that little line on the bottom of the pool so often and see like if there was a tile missing and there was a do a lot. So it was monotonous. And even though it was draining to do all that, I gladly did it. You know why? Because I wanted to be better at swimming. I wanted to get in shape. I wanted to do well at the swim meets and get awards and be honored for the swimming. So I worked really hard at it for that reward. I think parenting can be like that. Obviously the sacrifice is a a lot greater for parenting than high school sports. But it it made me think of the same thing, that um, there's a sacrifice that goes into it and then there's a reward that comes out. There's so much blessing and joy with children 
There's so much value in investing in children. And there's a blessing from raising a child to be wise that we talked about in Proverbs. And the value far outweighs the sacrifices that a parent makes. As I alluded to, this topic of children is a very real thing in our phase of life. We're expecting a daughter next month. She'll be our first child. So Sarah just had her baby shower yesterday. But as we look to the future, we're faced with very real tests of where we'll place our values. Sarah has a very promising and rewarding and lucrative career as a nurse practitioner. And we're going to have her significantly reduce her hours or quit completely. And this is so that she can be at home to raise our daughter. We don't view this as a sad thing, but we view it as a promotion for her. She will have a much more rewarding life being a mother and investing in our children than she would have had investing in wealth or the prestige she could have had as a nurse practitioner. We firmly believe that by giving herself to mothering, she's giving herself to something more important than any career. Okay, let's pick out one more section from Mark 10 and then we'll call it a day. I know you see a lot of Mark 10 left and I've gone a while, but we'll get there. So let's start in verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. I laugh at them. We can. I can be baptized with your death. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says to him, You will drink the cup I drink and also be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I've had it pointed out that Jesus never corrects the brothers for asking who's going to be the great or how to be the greatest. I think it's a healthy thing to have aspirations, to want to try harder, to be better, to give more. But he does correct their definition of what greatness really is. It's not wearing long religious robes or saying long prayers. It's not getting a good seat at the synagogue or the church. It's not winning a medal or being rich or having land or having some kind of title. It's being a servant. It's okay to want to be great, but to be great, you need to be the greatest servant. Okay, so we're going to do a quick quiz game now. Hopefully we had enough coffee. Okay, not too hard. So the greatest person on a high school staff is the principal. That's good. The greatest person in the army is the general. It's good. The greatest on a football team is the heard a lot of good answers. Captain or quarterback or if you ask a lineman, it's the lineman. I don't know. There can be some disagreement. The greatest in a play is the lead role. The greatest at a company is the CEO. 
The greatest in the government is the president. The greatest in the church, the servant. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacon. It's the greatest servant. It might be one of the Sunday school teachers. It might be a mother of five keeping her children in order at church. It might be the person running the slides. It might be the person that got here early at seven-something to start making coffee for church. It might be the person that stays late to clean the toilets. Those are the greatest at the firehouse. Those are the greatest in the kingdom of God. I want to quick refer back to parenting once more. I talked about some of the sacrifices that have to be made for parenting. And I think parenting provides one of the best opportunities in the, in the world to serve. You have a life that is totally dependent on you for a time. You serve someone that can't pay you back for years. You serve someone that might not appreciate it at the time. It might, it might get more likely as they become teenagers or something. But in God's economy, that's what makes parents great. Consider this a Mother's Day teaching a day early. Uh, we're going to miss Mother's Day probably. Our babies do, I think, the day before Mother's Day. So I'm going to talk about it now. But moms, I think, deserve a special blessing because they tend to do more of the physical serving of their kids on a daily basis. They tend to give more for their well-being. They tend to give up more in careers. They give themselves to be uncomfortable during pregnancy and labor. But that makes them great in the kingdom of God. If you're not a parent, you can just take the day off. This message is not for you. No, I'm kidding. You don't get a day off. I'm sorry. There's still a high bar on serving if you're not a parent too. That didn't just relate to that. And there's a huge opportunity to be great. I think when James and John heard Jesus instruct them to be great servants, to be great in the kingdom, they were probably really convicted and stepped their game up on serving. So I encourage you to think of what ways you can be a better servant this week. How can you serve your roommates more? How can you serve your spouse more? How can you serve the church more? How can you give of yourself more than you do now? That is what will make you great. You know, funny story, I shared that at the first teaching, and then I got off the stage, and I was about right there, and somebody asked me for help moving. So, I got what was coming to me, I think. But, just joking, I was happy to, but it was kind of funny. A servant also doesn't expect anything in return for their serving. The last part of the chapter says that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, a servant doesn't expect anything in return. Jesus didn't serve because he thought the disciples would somehow repay them. He served to bless them and to give his life as a ransom for them. So how are you doing at that? Sometimes we can serve people, but add a caveat. We can expect that by serving, we have secured ourselves some kind of future help. For example, have you ever offered someone to move and then loudly proclaimed when your moving date is? I was happy to help you move, but I'm moving May 10th. Here's a card. This is the address. Please show up. I just think my wife Sarah babysits a lot, so a bad attitude could have been to ba- she liked to babysit just to serve families around and serve the kids, but a bad attitude could have been to serve to say, well, now we're having our kids, so line up to babysit. We've got a lot of babysitting coming in to repay. 
That's not the case. God wants us to serve to bless people, not just to get something back in return. So Jesus served just for the the sake of serving. If you look at the lives of the disciples, they really didn't give him back that much in a worldly sense. Most of them, all of them deserted him and left him alone at his death. He served to bless them and to give of himself for their well-being, ultimately for their eternal well-being with his life. And so as disciples, we need to take that same attitude of wanting to serve and bless one another and give of ourselves for the well-being of others. I think we'll call it a day at that, so we get home on time here. But let's pray and just ask for God's help in this. God, we do thank you for today. We just thank you for the chance to look at your word on some of these things, God. We thank you that you give us a hope in our marriages. God, there's a high standard there that you hate divorce, and there's no option where you want us to have divorce in our thinking. God, I just pray you would help us just honor you with our marriages. We thank you for the victory you've given us in some areas in our marriages the last 40 years, and I pray you bless the next 40 years. God, I pray this would be a room of strong marriages that would hold together. God, we do pray for the other areas too. God, help us just place a high value on children. Help us give ourselves to raise children and raise them and honor you in the way that we do that. And we do pray for our service too. God, help us give of ourselves. God, help us... God, just serve and lay down our lives. God, you did not come to be served, but to serve. I pray we'd have that same attitude. God, help us not come to church to be served, but to serve. Help us not go to other people's houses to be served, but to serve. God, I pray we'd all be examples in growing in, in our service to one another and ultimately to you. And we commit this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty. Well, thanks for coming. See you next week.